0: i'm jason klom and this is the comedy
1: on vinyl podcast now now you'll have no problem sticking it up. brilliant
0: that, that's exactly <laughs> what i was hoping for thank you so so much
1: I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a big. Uh, I'm gonna clap so you can hear it. There, perfect. There, there there's your, uh, whatever they call it in film, that, with the a, uh, a cl- clapboard, a clap slate. Yeah. Yeah. A slate. Sure. A, a slate.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's been so long <laughs> since I've been on a film set. Let me see here. What year did this album come out before? I act like an idiot and say the wrong. 1985, thing. I think. There we are. You are not mistaken. Uh, okay. And we normally do. 45 minutes to an hour
1: is that yeah, okay? Yeah. that's great i i saw some of the episodes are over an hour i've i've got the time uh-huh good if it's billy west it's a three-hour podcast
0: and then another two hours at my place talking to me well, that's pretty cool Th- yeah it was fun i mean for him like he's he's my hero so you know that was okay i let him ramble it was nice <laughs> uh okay i'm r- do you have any questions for me before we start um
1: mm, no i've right. <laughs> just got a uh i got a cucumber uh, stuck in my straw uh-huh but now i'm wondering if maybe this is zucchini i put in my drink
0: <laughs> uh, i think it's a cucumber as long as it's <laughs> refreshing that's all that really matters i think
1: right i think
0: uh okay <clears throat> the year is 1985 the album is marvelous the artist billy crystal and my guest is dave shumka thank you for doing the show my pleasure that's it for the, th- this week uh do you have anything you want to plug uh okay now dave you host hi you host co-host stop podcasting yourself yeah uh you were the co-creator slash co-host slash co-writer person of our debut album another great podcast that's right. um i've never so i you know i i'm a fan of stop podcasting yourself and i realize i don't know that i've ever heard you speak aloud about comedy albums, so I'm not sure why you picked Billy Crystal. That
1: surprises me. Is it weird that that surprises me? Well, it's not weird. Um, I don't know why I picked it either. Okay. uh, Because I had uh, comedy albums when I was a teenager uh, on CD, but I I thought for comedy on vinyl, I would think back to what we had on vinyl. Mm -hmm. Um, I was born in 1980, so I never... I never bought anything on vinyl sure. To this day I've never bought anything on vinyl uh, But Like I As a teenager I had In the 90s What did What were the like, comedy things I mean Jerky uh, Boys <laughs> No not Jerky Thank Boys God. But like um, Adam Sandler uh, uh, Adam Sandler for sure Okay Den- Dennis Leary Okay sure uh, Corky and the Juice Pigs Uh huh Uh huh uh-huh. Canadian comedy band Yeah and uh, a few other Canadian comedy bands, like, uh, what were the names of these guys? <laughs> uh, Radio Free Vestibule, if you can track them down. Radio uh, Free Vestibule. They had some very funny sketches. Um, and then not too much stand-up, but the, like, when I was thinking back to what we had on vinyl, we had a few Weird Al's, mm-hmm. and we had a bunch of Bill Cosby. And we had this. W- my brother must have got this. This w- my brother's eight years older than I am, so this would have been like when he was thirteen. I assume he got this from the Columbia House uh, uh, seven albums for a doll- or for a penny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, we had this Billy Crystal album, and I I listened to it a bunch, uh, but I don't remember like I when I re-listened to it just n- the other day. Uh, I was shocked at how much I remembered it, and but there's so little. There's so many references that would have made no sense to of me. Of course, yeah. Even when I was listening, uh, when I was twelve or thirteen, just because like Menudo, he makes a reference <laughs> to Menudo, uh-huh. and it, by 1993, that wasn't a thing. No, anyone knew. No. And I don't think we
0: would have until Ricky Martin hit the scene. That's exactly exactly I'm, I'm assuming i mean fernando Lamas alone uh for a, a child i mean he died in 82 so there's little to no chance we would know who that guy was It was just a cute voice it was a voice that we we uh i guess attached to i'm told i did that impression when i was three i was a real adorable child uh, <laughs> um it's fucking upsetting uh it, it just that that's the stuff that i latched onto as a kid um so what's the stuff that you were shocked that you remembered?
1: Um, uh, oh, all of it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I when I was listening back, I couldn't, um, I, I, I don't remember how much was, um, stand up. Like, it, it's weird. I don't, I don't. I I think of Billy Crystal as a movie star. Sure. Uh, but i don't know like and i i guess from he did a what, what one season on saturday night live something like that uh huh a- and but that was when i was tiny mm-hmm. uh so i know the highlights from that season and uh but i i guess i just sort of always assumed he was a stand up but the he, yeah there's like i don't know half an hour of stand up on this album and or maybe it's from like comic relief like okay it yeah. was hi- him and Whoopi, Robin, Willi- Whoopi Goldberg and Robin Williams, who, I guess, of the three of them, Robin Williams is the most well known as a stand up. I don't even know if Whoopi Goldberg would you call her a stand up. Not. Re- I, she did do. She has a comedy album,
0: which, uh, it's really, ju- it's actually just a Broadway show. It's it's the the audio to her Broadway show, which I feel like has elements of stand up, but I, I don't know beyond that what she did everybody's gonna hate me for saying i don't know but uh yeah i don't know
1: um anyway she uh uh yeah i i i guess like i i knew billy crystal as the guy from city slickers and the guy who hosted the oscars mm-hmm. and so for the for Based on that, I don't know why I was drawn to this comedy <laughs> album. This is something your parents bought and brought into the house, or your brother? Uh, my,
0: my brother. Your brother's it, pre- oh, okay, okay. Did your parents have any comedy in the house in terms mm-hmm. of albums? I think the bo- the Bill Cosby
1: must have been my dad. Okay,
0: okay. Uh, but your brother brought in the, slightly the, the newer stuff, the stuff that... Was there a temptation because he was your older brother to enjoy it as much as he did?
1: Um, I don't know if I ever witnessed him enjoying this i just Mm. we just had a record collection and there was so much classical i was never going to listen to so many show tunes i would never listen to uh and then like you know a handful of pop records and and a handful of comedy so i i just i think i listened to every comedy album we had that i recognized as comedy maybe there (laughs) were some things (laughs) that were cleverly disguised uh-huh. Or if, if the comedians were wearing tuxedos on the cover, I just assumed <laughs> that it was, you know, classical. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you know, if it were Victor Borga, you'd be right in both counts. Exactly. So. Um, here in Vancouver, there's a uh, there's a theater called the Orpheum Theater that has a, a hall of fame, a wall of fame outside, and I think there's only four names on it. Uh, Bob Hope, and these are mm-hmm. people who who perennially perform there, I guess. Bob Hope um, Nana Muskuri, the singer. Okay. Uh, Ravine, the hypnotist. <laughs> and Victor Borga. Wow. Yeah, that's a, a wall of some esteem, if not fame.
0: <laughs> Are there just the names or faces? What's Is there a mural?
1: Uh, I think it's just a star and a name, yeah. Okay, okay. But four. You've got your four. All right. The big four that's, of. Sure i guess i don't know if vancouver was a popular stop for the most of the last century but
0: yeah no i i, I understand i i've only heard of a handful of comedy albums myself that were recorded in canada and w- usually it's border towns usually
1: oh well, is can- canada is all border towns
0: sure but specifically i guess like windsor
1: being the one oh, that's sure. just
0: so so most accessible to
1: what the are the comedy what, of detroit what comedy coming to mind oh is it well, yeah, what what albums are coming to mind? Is
0: there the one album that pops into my head, and I know that there are other. I don't know if there are any other Windsor ones, but this one stood out just because uh, it's from it's a, a guy from Detroit who was a kid's star, uh, like on kids TV, and then did an album that was one half, uh, your typical like really bad, hacky, racist, misogynist, homophobic stuff, and then the other side was him singing quite beautifully. Uh, so it's, it's half his comedy act, and the other half was, um, yeah, really good singing. Hmm. I, it might have been good singing by comparison to
1: the really awful shit he was saying on the other side of the album. Oh, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there, I'm sure there are, uh, tons and tons of Canadian comedy albums. I, I just, you know, I can't think of them right now. I, I sure. mean, uh, the Bob and Doug McKenzie album comes to mind. Of course, yeah. And uh, then arguably one of the greatest comedy albums of all time, actually. And then, I um, I don't know where, uh, I'm, like Tommy Chong is from here. Yeah. So I don't know where that, was, that stuff was recorded. but All here, I think. Uh,
0: I can tell you, there, I do have an old Rich Little album that was kind of his answer to The First Family, which was our comedy album about the president. Mm. Um, but I got zero of those references. It was just, it was I felt so stupid listening to it. I just couldn't, I listened to it all, but I didn't get an ounce of it because it was all Canadian politics from the 60s. Oh, right. Oh, what was mm-hmm. our first
1: family? Was that uh, Von Meter? Is that his name? Yes,
0: yep, yep. Von Meter did did first family, and then uh, and then and lost his career. Rich Little got to continue, because nobody killed a prime minister. <laughs> thank goodness. So, good for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, d- does Billy... Okay, so, I mean, I, I get, we've established when you listen to it, and, and what it was for you at the time. Does Billy Crystal hold any... Do you have any nostalgia for Billy Crystal still?
1: No. It was just, it was like, <laughs> it was back when there were, you know, basic cable and, you know, you had a, a few channels. And so, like, a famous funny guy, there, were, there weren't there were that many of them. Yeah. They're, there, like, you know, in my generation for, you know, that span of three years, if you hosted the Oscars between 1990 and 93... You are the f- like one of the funniest people in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I actually went back and I looked over his filmography, and I think I've maybe seen four Billy Crystal movies. Uh huh. So I'm I didn't even hold him in that high esteem. It's not like he was, you know, Jim Carrey. Oh, you got to see the new Jim Carrey movie or Adam mm-hmm. Sandler or whatever. Sure. Uh, so yeah, it's like beyond. Uh, City Slickers and The Princess Bride uh I just knew he was this famous guy who was funny and he did on the album he does impressions uh huh and you're like I I guess he was an impressionist like I don't even <laughs> remember what he was famous for <laughs> was he he was mostly cuz he I guess he had a like you know a lot of fingers in different pies he did movies he did stand up he was he has the, all these memorable sketches Mm -hmm. uh from one season on saturday night live and uh you know hosting and uh well maybe he did a little bit of puppetry i don't i don't know
0: (laughs) yeah i that that's a very good point he's well i mean he's from an era where you could kind of be known as a star for your talent but known so much as a star that I know that, you know, I grew up with tons of people the same way where uh, when I found out that Bobcat Goldthwait did stand-up, that shocked me. Like, because Mm -hmm. he was just that weird fucking guy from the police academy and Scrooge. That I had I didn't know until I was much older that he was ever a stand-up. So there are these people who do kind of occupy this weird space where they're just entertainers. Uh, And I don't know what...
1: Yeah, I I guess is Muhammad Ali's okay? Um, Yeah, he he does a thing where... it's another thing where as a kid listening, I was like, why would I, what What am I getting out of him doing Howard Cosell <laughs> talking to Muhammad Ali, Larry Holmes, and Mar- Marvin Hagler? <laughs> it's like, I don't, I couldn't, you could play their real voices and I wouldn't know who it was. <laughs> but they really hit home with
0: those people, but I can't tell if they, if it's really hitting home or if it's like Robin Williams hitting home where he's just saying so many things. People right are just loving it right because much as i like a robin williams uh his albums are very much that there are people just laughing at uh you know there's another canadian howie mandel he's got an album that has i would arguably <laughs> zero content on it yet it is getting laughs left and right mm-hmm. i i don't know if you ever heard that album no um i would argue it's worse than this one uh, I, I don't necessarily think this is bad Bad. No, it I, doesn't
1: hurt me to listen to. No, a couple it's not, things do. It's not. Well, yeah, there's there's the jazz man. The jazz uh, man hurts. Uh-huh. But there's this isn't so bad so much as it's dated. It's of course there's there's a whole, um, uh, like we are the world, USA for Africa, uh-huh. bit. There's uh, the the you look Mo- marvelous song, has just mentions every female singer from the time. And he <laughs> says they're all marvelous. Cyndi Lauper's Uh And, but like, there's a lot of sort of, I guess, premises that are, uh, knowing what we know about comedy now and how, how everyone is kind of can be a comedy snob. Like he does men and women are different. He does, uh, you know, old men farting, that uh-huh. kind of thing. That's a whole bit. That is a whole five
0: minutes of comedy <laughs> where just fart and a response to his own fart for basically what feels like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And it is weird to me that there, that he even bothers to have the stand up in there, but he must've been doing, I guess, because either that or he f- felt he had to do it because he couldn't fill it with the impression. Cause again, he only did one album. He did this album. And like you said, did the year of SNL and
1: bolted from both and just went into movies immediately. But how long had he been doing stand up before that? Was he just a charming guy who was like I'm really funny. I do impressions. I don't necessarily need material cuz it's not bad. Like it's like sure, it's not his first time doing it. No, 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 right. He's
0: he's obviously he's obviously got a background. I'm trying to actually see s- when he actually started again he, he said he, on the album i believe he says he started when he was five not doing stand-up necessarily but right. he said he started performing for for people one way or another because uh, his father was a, a jazz producer which gives him permission to do all kinds of stuff <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know and that's the thing about the jazz man it is cringy it is again dated uh of course but like he's doing it out of love and you can tell like there's nothing, there's no effort there to like, isn't it funny how black people talk? Like it's clearly not that it's him trying to really do a thing, but
1: it just, I I guess
0: it's just dated out of, out of any relevance.
1: Yeah. And it's like, he's, he does blackface on the cover as Sammy Davis Uh, Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he did it on Saturday night live. Mm hmm. um, so that's cool <laughs> uh no it's it's uh i think it's you know it's i guess you could say it's dated i don't know that it was cool back then to to be happening i just don't think uh anyone who objected to it had much of a voice
0: yeah that's that that's probably a better way to look at it um I'm not a black man. Uh, neither was I in 1985, so I guess it wouldn't have it wouldn't have struck me as I probably would have loved this album. Though I, I have to imagine this would have been the greatest thing in the world to me, e- even though the, the the opening to it is a sketch. The, that and a is a song.
1: That is the best. The, <laughs> the opening with Christopher Guest, uh huh, which was I guess a sketch on Saturday Night Live. It was, yeah. But they, it, it's the two guys, what are they, doormen at a hotel? I think so. I, I know that now. I didn't when I first heard this. I just thought it was these two guys who were able to finish each other's sentences um, about these horrible things that they do to themselves, injure <laughs> themselves. <laughs> and it, I thought it was so funny. I still, I stand by it. It's like a solid bit. The fact mm-hmm. that it turns into a song is maybe not that solid, but.
0: Right, right the snl stuff yeah it's always i mean i say the snl stuff they did i think they poach most of the material from existing sketches because i know that that meet uh, the like that one is yeah. definitely i definitely saw on the show well saw later on on the show yeah it is it's a great bit uh as a bit it is it is good it's well executed uh it's simple uh, I mean that's it. I mean it's it's a very simple bit. They, they they have their little catchphrases. I hate it when that happens. I know what you mean. That's the chorus of the song. Yeah, that is also the chorus of the song. It's this little <laughs> funk beat that's that's underneath it. This <laughs> funk riff. It's
1: and I'm presuming they got you know. Well, I think Paul Schaefer appears later in the thing, so they maybe they got him to do the music. Or, See, that would be ideal. Or yeah. whatever. Who wh- whoever was the Saturday Night Live band at the time. I, I did look to see if it
0: was G.E. Smith. I did not see G.E. Smith's name listed anywhere on here. Um, it could have been his black jazz friend uh, who did <laughs> most of the music. I don't know. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then from that, he goes right into just stand-up, getting a little kid to do the Fernando Lamas impression.
1: Well, I didn't even know that this was a real guy, this Fernando Lamas. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, I just know it is the You Look Marvelous guy. Right. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't have known who that was as a kid either. And to this, like, I I've never seen footage of the real guy. It's Lorenzo mm-hmm. Lamis's dad. I'm mm-hmm. pres- presuming it is. It is. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if he actually said that. If he said, "You look marvelous," or <laughs> if it was just uh, his essence. Right. Um, right. But the, yeah, his fir- the first stand-up bit he gets. There's there's people in the audience yelling out, "You look marvelous." Mm -hmm. And he gets a kid to come up and say it so no one ever has to say it again. And then he does like five minutes talking about it's so crazy. (laughs) This people yell it to me on street corners.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I uh he talks about how, how hard his nipples are in this bit too. I just thought I would write that was just something that stood out listening to Billy Crystal say that his nipples were hard. Uh, it's yeah he there's there is this element of a certain period of stand up same with like eddie murphy who a lot of his act was talking about how people would talk to him about his bits on this on this on the street <laughs> mm-hmm. which is uh when i when i say his bits i do mean his comedy bits uh i realize how that could have been misinterpreted oh sure <laughs> um he yeah i mean that, that's that's i I don't understand how that ever works. Maybe it's a cr- maybe it's just pure charm where somebody can talk about how famous they are and people just react and laugh. I think
1: I think so. I think the, I uh, like any time you've gone to a show and like someone famous is there, the cr- they've won the crowd over just by being famous. Yeah, like it really it buys you a a, a lot of goodwill. Um, and he like I'm not. A, a, it's a, like a unique bit. No one else can talk about <laughs> how this impression <laughs> has worked well for them, I guess. Like, right. you know, being famous is, you know, no, like it's not just any other, heavy. have you seen this commercial or any other sort of universal bit? Like, I'm famous. I can talk about being famous and people will listen, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, I I can't quite figure it out because I, I I feel like that's something I would resist. But I I'm charmed by him. I'm charmed by Eddie Murphy. I'm even I'm almost charmed, but not quite when he does his Chinese man accent. That's that's the first one. That's like the first sign that things might go a little south.
1: Uh, it could be worse. I guess is that that, that that's I guess that's the best you can say about it. Yeah, Chinese I mean accent. I guess like his this whole thing is like he's pretty clean <laughs> throughout his racist uh, bits. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh,
0: boy, yeah, and he gets he gets under the impressions pretty quickly. Um,
1: uh,
0: yeah, I and I I don't think any of those impressions would have made any sense to me as a kid, except for maybe no, no, nope, none of them. Uh, Edward G. Robinson just as a thing, but you don't know you know him as a cartoon voice more than you might know him as an actual person.
1: Yeah, is that well? He does does he go through like, uh, the Ten Commandments? Yes. yes. And so it's yeah, I like I obviously as a 10 to 11 year old, I had never seen that movie. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen all of it. Um, although my wife, her family, they, I guess it's on every year at Easter. And okay. Yeah. M- my wife and her, her family, they have a drinking game. Whenever someone says bondage, <laughs> you drink. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so he does Edward G Robinson, but even then, like it's, It's the kind of thing where even if you he's funny enough that even as a kid, if you don't know who Edward G. Robinson is like, you know, he's talking about a guy. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy that the audience is familiar with. So Mm -hmm. let's all go on with it. (laughs) Yeah. I, I guess the audience all had to be over 30 as well.
0: Yeah, that's probably true.
1: Yeah, that makes. I, you know, I'm just
0: realizing I don't know how old he was at this point because I can never quite figure out Billy Crystal's age. So nineteen. Okay, so he's about, he's a, he's fuck, he's my age. So he's 37 the, at this point. Um. So yeah, Billy Crystal, 37. Now that's another thing though. When I listen to this, he sounds incredibly young, but to me, he. he but I guess he's always sounded a little young. But I can't imagine myself at 37 doing this, doing what he's doing. I don't. It seems. I, I'm not saying that I'm necessarily above it. I would be above it as a performer. But this seems like so so early in somebody's career, and to be 37 when you're busting out these these weird impressions and your catchphrases. I don't know. I I could be wrong.
1: I I think you're wrong. I think this is mm-hmm. like the prime. The, like he, he's not questioning what he's doing. Like this, sure, this is, this is like why what what else would his album be?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he is unabashedly this guy. I suppose. I mean, there's there's nothing cynical. It doesn't seem cynical to me. The only thing cynical is, you know, if you don't do another album, I I always wonder why you did just the one and if it was just the cash cow. Fine, but uh, yeah. No, I mean, he's he's kind of delightfully sincere again, like with his love
1: of the jazz man character and all the voices he does. Yeah, I don't think like. Um, people who do impressions usually aren't cynical because, like, <laughs> you have yeah. to. There has to be such artifice. Like, you have to be like, "Hey, you know this famous person? Well, imagine they were in this situation. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, let like, come along with me. Like, you can't be. You can't think that's hacky."
0: Sure. Uh, I guess it just strikes me that at 37 unless it's it's more the age of, of maybe it's just because it's 1985 that just doesn't come across
1: as hacky. Maybe I should disregard his age at the time. Um yeah, I I I think you you know, you're 37, you do you're but it's your first album and you maybe you're not maybe you don't have you know, tons of material to draw from. Maybe it is a cash-in. I don't know
0: yeah for a cash-in though as uh, as you point out for a cash-in to be as invested in the comedy and to put i actually kind of like all the stuff about w- w- when he talks about being a dad and mm-hmm. what it's like being a teenage boy and stuff uh i guess at this point he's a he's got two daughters um it just talk, it, of course baseball comes up mm-hmm. inevitably because it's billy crystal um talks about a kid with having the
1: biggest penis in the world <laughs> yeah uh, I, re- I remember that as that's as like his nightmare, uh-huh. as a dad. Uh huh. This this you know, fourteen year old boy with the penis. Big- <laughs> it's me. The big. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's memorable. Yeah. All these years later. Hmm. And I didn't know he liked baseball. At the time. No, I, I a- at a, all. I, I I know. I, I uh-huh. I'm okay. joking.
0: I see now. I ass- as I, I was okay. I knew that, but I'm just I assume. Here's the thing, Dave. mm Hmm it's late <laughs> uh <laughs> what time zone are you in <laughs> same as you but uh yeah um i completely forgot where we were oh right me not making it obvious that i understood a joke that's where we were it's fine yeah. it's, it, you know what the It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. skype it's skype baby sure it's a delay that's what it is it's a, it's there's just this delay it just throws everybody everything off um there's the whole bit about his penis being in charge of everything where he just does that weird voice saying now all the time. I kind of like
1: that, too. And it's, you know, it's a uh, sort of like a honing device. Homing (laughs) device? Uh It it uh can locate the girl from, however, let me ring the doorbell. Mm -hmm. It's talking. It's got a It's Hey, he's the guy with the penis with the toot. Yeah. Um, And then, uh, yeah, but like... And there's some good stuff in there, like I think so. Some, like there's some written lines that you can tell are written, but they come across really naturally. Like he's like, "When I was a boy," and then he inter- interrupts himself, oh, "Like I'm an armadillo now." Uh huh. Like uh-huh. He, it's it's one of those lines that you know he sells it really well. That it's just coming to him in the moment, but mm-hmm. it, it's you know, gets a l- solid a line. A line like that, you don't you don't throw that away
0: no of course not hold hold on to that one d okay so i'm gonna go ahead and guess that billy crystal was not necessarily a big influence but it is what it is something that you remember uh yeah. but then i could be wrong is there any influence is there any uh, what was your stand-up like Because i'm now realizing how little of your stand-up that i've heard oh you are doing it
1: yeah there's very little of it available uh, i mm-hmm. was i was pretty mm-hmm. good at <laughs> wiping it from the internet um <laughs> My stand up was nothing like this. I didn't tell stories, I didn't do uh-huh. voices. Uh-huh. I I did uh I didn't do characters. <laughs> I didn't have songs. <laughs> I didn't talk about old movies. Um <laughs> mine was uh pretty weird and like a lot of one-liners and fair, like which is very um a lot of comedians start off doing one-liners and then you realize mm-hmm. you have to uh, fill time and yeah you know, you you're ev- no one-liner no matter how brilliant is going <laughs> to it's going to eat up more than 20 seconds <laughs> yeah uh you, you so uh uh I never really uh got into the you know long storytelling stuff that that Billy did that some comedians do uh but yeah no not really an influence on me but just sort of a fascination as a kid when you're kind of like figuring out what kind of entertainment is there out there? Mm-hmm. Like this was recorded in a room full of people who apparently bought tickets to go see a guy talk. Like, what is that?
0: <laughs> yeah. See, you have this moment because I've never done stand up, but I mean, most standups seem to have that moment where they sort of real or they realize or they question that this could ever be a thing and I either always assumed it was a reality, or never even thought about it. So that's what kind of throws me. So, is is there was there a moment where that turned into a genuine goal for you, or did you was
1: it something you just tried out one time? Stand up. Um, I, uh, I knew stand up was a thing, obviously, eventually, and, sure. And, uh, but I didn't know who did it and like how one does it. Like I guess you you go to New York or L.A. and they have it there. And then I saw uh, Zach Galifianakis on TV and I went to his website and it said he was playing at this place in Vancouver I had never heard of, which I, 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 it was called El Cocal Mm -hmm. and I went, I phoned them up and I said, when, when is the comedy show? How do I get tickets for the comedy show? And they didn't speak English. Oh no. (laughs) And I, I figured out that it's this tiny restaurant and so I went the that night and it was uh hosted by my podcast co host now, Graham Clark. Mm-hmm. And it had about ten comedians from Vancouver that I had never heard of. Uh-huh. Uh and then Zach Galifianakis. And I was like, What? You can just go you can just be a guy from here who has a bunch of jokes and then you can you can be on the same show as Zach Galifianakis? And so that's was that was sort of the uh that pushed me into it. it was like oh so it's it's happening here and there's mm-hmm. people who do it and there's places to do it and then ultimately you you figure out what uh, uh how to do it
0: in in your wildest fantasy at the time what happens Because, I mean, if you're thinking about, uh, if you're picturing yourself being a stand up in the same situation where you might get to perform with today's Victor Borga, or at Mm -hmm. least at the time, you know. (laughs) Did he have a piano at the time? Was he still doing the piano thing?
1: That's why he was performing there, because they had a piano. All right. That's what Graham claims, anyway. Okay. Uh, In my wildest dreams, I honestly was like, I was pretty realistic about it. I was 24 at the time, and I was like, well,. You hear all these stories about like the comedy legends starting before they could even get into clubs, like sure. starting when they're 16, like the the greats, like Nick Cannon. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you uh, so I was sort of r- realistic about it. And I, uh, I, I you know, I, I kind of thought this. Well, there's there's other types of comedy out there. Well, let's see how this goes. And uh, maybe I can meet people. Maybe I can't, maybe this will work out really well. Um, uh, I don't know how to make a living at it, but uh, we'll, we'll see <laughs> if, let's see <laughs> if I can figure out how people seem to make a living at it. And very few do. Uh, but yeah, so that was, it was, I was pretty realistic about it at the time. It was just kind of for fun. And um, you know, ultimately the, the, thi- the, the way a lot of, people do make a living at it is uh, doing stand-up and the places that pay you to do stand-up is are comedy clubs and I was never fond of comedy clubs and they were never fond of me
0: <laughs> so <laughs> well, I, I mean the, the frequency with which you have to do it seems to me daunting
1: uh, do you mean doing stand-up doing stand-up
0: do? period yeah having to do it every day or whatever however frequently you're supposed to do it that's how little I really understand the reality of it,
1: yeah, I mean you uh uh it, it but it's you know it like people treat it like a job because they want it to be their job, so they do it every day, yeah
0: what were you doing at the time?
1: I was working as a video editor on a uh uh just like a Canadian reality show mm-hmm. that uh I won't even name because no one ever saw it. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, oh, boy. The rea- the,
0: that, that is a whole... You guys have so often... Well, early on on your podcast, you guys would talk about America's Next Top Model so much. Your show started in 2008, right? Yes. 2008. 2008. We invented so w- podcasting. You invented podcasting. I keep forgetting. It's right after I stopped working on America's Next Top Model. Oh. And so yeah, that's that's so. Uh, what were you doing there? I was a PA. Ah. Uh, but as a PA, I actually just found some proof of this the other day. Uh, I don't know how I have proof of this, uh, but uh, just the one time I got to meet Tyra uh, was uh, I had Ooh. to. Uh, uh, her Tyra Banks. She's a model. She likes huh. baseball. Uh, And (laughs) I had to drive two hours around L.A. to get her a specific type of popcorn, only to get it back and find out uh, Tyra didn't particularly care what brand of popcorn I got, or some idiot on the production had actually just assumed that if that didn't happen, everyone would die. Right. Um, That's the kind of thing that happens. So, boy, I want to know more about your reality show, but that's fine. Oh, I
1: mean, I'll I'll tell you. it, It was, I think the one I was working on at the time was just about, like it was, it was funded by the government. It was about mm-hmm. Canadian small businesses. It was okay. literally on a channel no one got. <laughs> <laughs> like it, was, it was just a completely subsidized government thing that made me miserable.
0: <laughs> you know, this is something that I actually tr- never comes up organically when I have a Canadian guest. But Canadian content is something that we'll never be able to relate to. Mm -hmm. here this this i I think there's the assumption that everything we do is just utterly american so why why bother we have a supposedly rich culture uh what was the canadian content type stuff growing up watching tv or listening to radio or whatever as a kid in terms of comedy i mean the, the legend of course is bob and doug mckenzie being created as a just a satirical hit at that idea and just making the you know the giant the these huge Canadian stereotypes that end up actually taking off, ironically enough. So I'm just curious, like what was your experience? Did um, you know about it? Did you yeah, get it?
1: Well, there's this, the law in Canada for people who don't know is, uh, it's mostly, I mean, there's different things for TV and, and uh, uh, like funding things, mm-hmm. but for a radio music broadcast, 35% of the music Played in an hour must be Canadian. Okay. And the way you qualify it is, as Canadian is um, the music written by a Canadian, the uh, lyrics written by a Canadian, the artist born in Canada, and the music recorded in Canada. And I think it has to satisfy two or three of those. Wow. So you you hear songs on the radio and you know when you're growing up you can't really pick out what is canadian and what isn't and then sure. the, the older you get you kind of catch on and then uh, like the the weird thing is that law sort of only came into existence in the 70s uh-huh so if you're listening to m- classic rock radio that's playing music from the 60s there they there's v- like a lot less canadian artists to draw oh, from yeah, huh. but they they still have to adhere to those laws so you'll hear neil young and the guess who over and over and wow. over wow on these stations. Um, uh, but uh, in terms of Canadian comedy, like the, uh, th- I mean, the kids in the hall, obviously. Sure. Were, were great. Um, and then on the radio, the like audio comedy, there were, there was really that I remember, there was the CBC, which everything they make is Canadian. So it's 100% Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh And they had the two shows I remember were the Royal Canadian Air Farce, which is uh, which was a pretty good radio show. Uh Like they had some funny sketches. It was on every week. It eventually became this television show that was the worst. Like every horrible Canadian stereotype. Oh no! Um, And then, but just like you're the the audience. They'd never acquired a new audience. It was just sort of like people who started listening in the 70s okay, kept watching the show up until like 2010. (laughs) Holy Uh, shit. And so it was just, you know, the the sketch show for 65-year-olds, and it was the worst. And the other one was this show called Double Exposure, which was Bob Robertson and Linda Cullen, and it was recorded in Vancouver, and it was just the two of them. It was just these two... Uh, performers I think they were married and they did all the voices and the guy did you know the impressions weren't Billy Crystal (laughs) (laughs) uh, caliber Uh, but he he would do sort of caricature you know impressions of Canadian political people as would she and that show I really like it was on Saturday afternoons I would listen to it you know driving to soccer games with my dad and it was so, like I couldn't, I, I could not pick out a single memorable sketch from it, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah, because it was all it was all kind of topical. So it was like, I mean, I I don't even remember what the political topics were in 1988. But <laughs> but sharing it with your parents, I mean, those are always the, the those come up a lot. The thing you share with your parents that they laugh at, that you assume has to be funny. Oh yeah, and sitting in the back seat of the car. And seeing my dad's shoulders go up and down mm-hmm. is a very uh, fond memory. <laughs> I, you know, I
0: what I'm always fascinated by is what actually makes it over the border to us because th- we, I think, not just fortunate, we wouldn't ha- American American cinema of the 70s and 80s would be nothing without I think a few Canadian faces that just filled out the whole thing yeah. I mean, they're, they're you know uh, i mean the probably the greatest or at least most well-regarded movie of the 80s for a certain breed of nostalgics like myself is back to the future and you know they're are just these few like super super iconic seemingly you know just over american uh films and, and and things that are just just dotted with really great canadian talent i mean fuck i mean my uh, the 90s were mike myers and jim carrey's to do with what they wanted Mm -hmm. uh and then there's other stuff that crosses like i know that if you speak to an english comedian of of any note if you if you try to relate to them and say and i've never done this but i've seen it done and say hey uh what about are you being served there's just there you'll get this blank look Um, I want to know what the Canadian embarrassments are, and I want to start with the one that I can assume is, and that's red green. That is the one we definitely got.
1: Um, red green is, yeah, that was one I definitely never saw a whole episode of. Uh Uh-huh. It was something that, for, I guess he's like a, uh, he lives in a lodge, and he w- mm-hmm. he uh is he wears <laughs> he's he's like a fix it guy and fixes <laughs> everything with duct tape with duct tape This is what I gather Mhm um uh oh there like there is uh <laughs> there's some really I mean we were talking about cancon music before and like there's so mm-hmm. many bad Canadian versions of American music Okay. Uh but I can't think of like I can't think of too many terrible Canadian uh comedy things. There obviously must have been. And there, you know, we had our versions of Evening at the Improv okay. and uh Caroline's Comedy Hour, which were just, you know, tons of stand ups. uh
0: Are there names that came out of those that you still are aware of? I'm curious, like if you saw any
1: of those people and you now know them. Oh, I'm sure, like, Brent Butt uh, was on that, was on, mm-hmm. um, what was it, Comedy at Club 54 is the Canadian version of that. Okay. A- 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 I'm sure he must have been on it. And there were, you know, there are kind of Canadian club comics of, of my youth who I still see their names, um, like, what, uh, like, Lawrence Morgenstern or, or um, uh, oh boy, Howard Busgang. Like, there are... Dan Redican, there there are these sort of names that you hear or that you like remember that weren't, you know, stars back then, but you, you saw them on TV and, and you, and then working in comedy or what, like looking at the credits of shows nowadays, like, oh, all these, these names are, are that guy stuck around. Good for him. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but what were the, like, there were some really good Canadian shows that, like, aren't embarrassments that, like, no one even in Canada saw that maybe were on for just a little while that I remember. Like, there was, I mean, people, uh, Canadians will remember this show called Four on the Floor, which was a a sketch comedy show with the frantics. Uh, But it's, I, I wonder if that's on YouTube, but it's not, like, it's not. It's not the kids in the hall or anything. It's not super sure. super famous. And then there was a show called The Ron Oliver Show, which was just this one guy, kind of a wacky guy, uh, walking around, you know, Toronto and interviewing people. And I thought he was so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, the the things that got really popular that annoyed me were like there was on Much Music there was this guy Ed the sock, who was this you know funny quote unquote funny sock. <laughs> and huh? he, he just had a bad attitude and always had a cigar and oh, no. he I couldn't tell you for a million dollars what was funny about this guy he just I mean he was like it was live tv he was working without a script and he you know yeah. his whole thing was he had a bad attitude <laughs> uh so, but like i think the people uh the people working on the station must have thought he was hilarious because sure like let's put him on again let's give him his own show <laughs> like oh, fuck i can't imagine they got much feedback about him uh, mm-hmm. but yeah there's i mean like the thing about uh canadian tv is it's all so low budget so the the fact that um like stuff never really got big enough that you would be embarrassed by it. You Like if something's, you know, <laughs> if something was created on a shoestring budget, why kick it while it's down? Sure, <laughs> so, sure. So it's it's um like but you you know you see red green, uh, and and it's on TV every day. And I I never saw a whole episode of it. I have radar for that kind of bad comedy, but mm-hmm. um, uh. So yeah, if something got to that magnitude, you you'd probably get sick of it. But but most Canadian stuff, you're like, "Mm, they're doing their best. (laughs) They're not hurting anyone. Yeah,
0: well I mean, and again, then the best of the best, however it makes its way over here, I guess we can thank Lauren Michaels for most of that. I mean, that's if you want to thank him for anything, that would be the one. I mean, if uh, God, I'm still not sure why kids in the hall is what it is. Like I've never understood or broken it down or known what really what those guys are like, other than they seem like a bunch of, you know, pissy post teenagers who just were really, really funny and really knew how to dig into their, the worst parts of their personalities to make some (laughs) really brilliant comedy. Like they're just, some of those characters are hellish. Um, Oh, totally. When did you, when did you first see, see the kids? I like, what's your awareness? How does it start with any of those guys? Or the group.
1: Um I it's weird. I I think I probably saw it for a year before I like w- maybe when I was uh, uh, you know 10 or 11. Uh, I think I probably saw like you know 13 episodes of it before I realized <laughs> that there were five of them. I remember right. <laughs> watching it like oh they added it. who's this new guy they added? <laughs> it's like that was Kevin McDonald. He was there the whole time. <laughs> uh, and it was it was yeah, I've rewatched a lot of that stuff, and it's, um, it's. It doesn't, you know, if, if for a kid, you know, you think you you're into, th- the, stuff on Saturday Night Live at the same time was like it's Pat and Wayne's World, yeah, and uh, just stuff that had so many catchphrases, and most of the Kids in the Hall stuff didn't have catchphrases other than sure. than I'm crushing your head. Uh, mm-hmm. but it was mostly just like just like yeah l- weird characters who and weird situations that you you're like how did they come up with this like mm-hmm. like you know talking about what what I was talking about earlier about like not knowing how you uh how you become a stand up comedian or w- w- like what is even happening in th- that situation how does a sketch Group become a TV show, or like not even knowing that the sketch troupe existed. How did this become a TV show? <laughs> Who pitched yeah. this? Mm-hmm.
0: They've got to be nearing, or maybe they've passed the thirty-year mark, and I, I, I just realized that because if they started, I'm assuming mid to late '80s, but they were so young. That's the other thing too. To be that, I don't I don't again, don't want to necessarily keep comparing people to another thirty-seven-year-old, but if if i'm gonna if i'm gonna look at what billy and i again this is fine I, it's not i you could i don't think you could call marvelous a bad album i there's some bad shit on it but I, in general it's kind of fun but then to compare it to a bunch of 21 year olds who are doing what seems to be the most daring sketch comedy on tv unless i i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm misremembering how daring it is maybe it's not daring i don't know it was what
1: do you think it was i mean it was like some of it was really daring, but like some of it was also just like solid comedy. Like that, mm-hmm. that uh, the first part of this album with the Christopher Guest sketch. With I, I hate when that happens. Mm-hmm. That is as solid a, a com- comedic premise as the 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 kids in the hall sketch, where he's just talking about. Citizen Kane, and he, but he, he refuses to acknowledge that it's Citizen Kane. Uh-huh. Like, no, that's not the name of it. Um, so it's just like that's not. I wouldn't call that, you know, daring, but sure. But there's, you know, there's all kinds of, um, there was all kinds of stuff on the kids in the hall that, you know, was just funny. No, w- wasn't necessarily shocking or, mm-hmm. or, um, you know. The, the most groundbreaking stuff it was just so solid yeah
0: i mean and that could be it too and i and maybe maybe it's their attitudes that that's still sell to me the idea that this this stuff is really pushing the envelope i feel like i'm turning into a producer from the 90s who really loved the word edgy like uh-huh. I, I guess maybe that's what this is doing to my brain maybe just that they're young and they have attitudes the, the older i get the more it seems like this stuff is really pushing the envelope. When I think maybe your assessment makes more sense, it's just solid um although I guess we should point out at this point that they did also have a blackface jazz man character of their own for <laughs> yeah. a brief period <laughs> i th- I think he eventually stopped doing the blackface part and just did the offensive voice um but again they i you can forgive them they're just cute little twenty year olds they're they're trying
1: their best sure have, have um, they asked for forgiveness i'll I'll forgive them if they acknowledge please.
0: Please, I mean, you had Scott Thompson on your show. I mean, you should have asked him then. Oh, sure. Him, I forget. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, he, I forget. Boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Do you, okay. Uh, so, when did you stop
1: doing stand up officially and why? I'm, if you don't mind at, talking about it, because I am curious. I never stopped officially, I did. I never sent out okay. a press release. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it was around 2011. And I know that because 20. I, I had to think back of sort of like what goes on at open mics and like the the whatever week, like Tuesday Wednesday shows that you know you don't get paid for uh the amount of people who would have been doing bane impressions in 2011 <laughs> I I uh-huh. I missed out on that so I I think I got out in early 2011 okay before everyone <laughs> uh you know did their best whatever it's bane in uh here's bane texting i don't know (laughs) i'm trying to think of what else happened in 2011 here's bane on uh you know uh trying to uh, campaign to re-elect obama here's bane romney these are things (laughs) yeah okay that's good Uh, i'm glad that you remember the details of that but Uh, the reason I stopped doing it is I Mm -hmm. didn't want to anymore. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. a, I was never a guy who did it seven days a week. And so I just start sort of went from doing it five days a week to four. And then uh, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll, you know, I'll only do it three this week. And then eventually I was just like, I don't, I'm not the, the part of me that wants to come up with new jokes isn't coming up with them for standup. I'm, finding right. other places to do that.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question is was
1: there just an itch that podcasting was enough for? Um b- yeah, and I was I was working at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation at the time and I was uh writing a, uh sort of comedy music stuff. Like uh-huh. like, you know, comedy b- blogs about music. Uh and so there was it was enough that I just, it sort of, I let it go by the wayside. It wasn't comedy, like stand-up never really uh, paid anything for me. So it was just mm-hmm. kind of a, uh, a, uh, a, you know, when it, w- it's not like I stopped doing it and then I went hungry. So I, I, I didn't even really notice as I stopped doing it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I found other, like there were other live shows that were less about, you know, Less comedy clubs, just sort of more independent venues uh, where you could do, where the, there, you know, it would be like a one person sketch show or a, a kind of a musical comedy show where you just write a piece for that night. Okay. Which is really not the sort of uh, spirit of stand up. Sure. Uh, where you write a piece and you try to hone it and make it better for the next time you do it. Uh, so I just it just yeah i I stopped wanting to do it, yeah, pretty much was the comedy uh that you listened
0: to probably mostly watched overwhelmingly one type or another, like did you gravitate more towards stand up or was that not you just decided that was the way you could express your love of comedy,
1: right? um, yeah, well, no, it really is that sort of you know. It's a typical stand-up story of, you know, you're a misfit, so why would you work with anyone else? You, you just, mm-hmm. It's you in the microphone. Um, although that, I don't know if it was being a misfit so much as being very shy. And, like, I don't want to find a group of, you know, I don't want to put on a sketch show with a bunch of people because I'm worried that they're all much funnier than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was that kind of, like... I don't want to embarrass myself in front of people I'm trying to impress. I'd rather embarrass myself by myself <laughs> in front of strangers. Um, so, yeah, it was like, I mean, I've always loved sketch. I've never been in a sketch troupe. I don't think I ever will. Um, I did improv in high school. Uh, but, yeah, it's just sort of uh, stand-up was was the easiest kind of way to get my ideas on stage.
0: You talk. Okay. So I asked you earlier about a couple of your influence. Uh, sorry. Stuck knees. Stop using that word. Uh, some of the stuff that you listened to as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, we did like gloss over quickly, like Adam Sandler and others. What was the other stuff that we might not have touched on that you listened to that like really informed your love of comedy?
1: Um, And we did talk about Corky and the Juice Pigs. That was we did. That was this Canadian uh, musical trio Mm -hmm. that had uh, uh, Sean Cullen was the I guess the breakout star of that, and he uh, the the band was just like they put out two albums that were uh, a mix of music and sketch and just you so improvised you could tell a lot of it but Mm -hmm. so kind of off the wall uh which is what i i really loved at the time uh like that sort of comedy is a magic trick like you know how did they come up with this like what what am i missing they they got from point a to point b so quickly and it was it's such a strange short journey that they took uh uh so that was a big one. And it was sort of like it felt cool in high school <laughs> to be like, yeah, I'm into this uh thing you n- you'll never hear about. <laughs> <laughs> um you're into a new band that I, that that's really cool. Well, uh I'm into this weird comedy trio that uh actually I think the Bare Naked Ladies first tour was opening for Corky and the Juice Pigs. Really? I think that's the the thing I heard. That's so str- – I,
0: I mean, I know enough because of Dr. Demento having a, a few album releases with that. Like, I know the Pandas Must Die. must die. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I know there are a few. I mean, I've never not liked anything they've done that I've heard, but I've never heard one of their full albums. I don't think I realized
1: that they were music and separately sketched. Well, well, and they did – well, the sketches were, you know, 30 seconds long. Okay. Uh, but they would do – like, they – it was the same thing as the sort of, like – Billy Crystal doing jokes about Idi Amin. like I don't know who that is <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh like they did a five minute song b- based on the style of uh Suzanne Vega, who wow, I could not like now I've maybe heard three songs by her, sure, but then I had heard zero songs by her, but it was the it it's m- like the most hilarious. Uh, it, it, I, I think it's improvised. It's like a stream of consciousness, l- lyrical, doesn't rhyme uh-huh. thing uh, uh, on their first album. And it is, uh, I, I like, talking about it now, I haven't heard it in years. I'd love to go listen to it right now. <laughs>
0: Listening to Sean Cullen improvised music is one of my favorite. I mean, he I, he doesn't do a ton of other people's podcasts, but the few times I have heard. Has he done your show? No. No, I didn't think so. It's, he seems like he'd be too loud for your show. There <laughs> is be wrong. there's
1: a rhythm to our show. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'll say.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. That's
1: understandable. Uh,
0: Boy. Uh, Corky and the Juice Pigs. Are there other... I mean, I don't know if, if you want to pimp any other Canadian acts, but you can... Anybody else? Is there anything that's super uh, a deep cut in terms of comedy that people should listen?
1: And to? I well, I mentioned it earlier as Radio mm-hmm. Radio Free Vestibule. It was another. I think it was you another did. three guys, and it was. I think they later changed their name to the Vestibules. Th- it, okay, that was my going to be my next question. They had one song about that was like the grunge song. That, okay. That maybe even got like they made a video and it got played on TV. Um, about you know just how you know grunge songs some parts are quiet some parts are loud but their sketches were so great and just as the audio sketches one was um it was like it was Lawrence <laughs> Olivier for Diet Coke and he had Lawrence Olivier had died years earlier and so they had <laughs> it they hadn't really done this but it was as though they had clipped Individual words from Laurence Olivier's <laughs> movies into an ad for Diet Coke. That's brilliant. And the other one was this uh, zalgon Twenty Six McGee's. Um, he's this he's this robot from another planet who denies being a robot from another planet, <laughs> and he ha- he just has a clothing store, and you should come in and try and cl- try on clothes, and if you go into the changing rooms, they won't heat up and cook you. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's the really... album I should have chosen. Uh, not, well... not this dumb <laughs> Billy Crystal thing. Well, you're, you're welcome back, regardless of how awkward I've
0: been this episode. Uh, uh, they it's... also did Bulbous Bouffant, I feel like I should point out. Sure. That's, that's, that would be the one that, if you're an American, you might have heard. Oh. I'm assuming, by the way, that, that every other American has my same exact experience <laughs> in terms of comedy. Um, but that's the only one that I knew. And I was very proud of that. I really want to hear wait, so do you know how many albums they had? Because now I have to hear that.
1: I only had the one. You only had the one. Okay. Um
0: I will look it up later. Um so, Dave. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna tell people why to listen to this Billy Crystal album, let's say they don't know that he ever did stand up. Let's say they've never heard of him somehow.
1: Mhm. What's a good reason to listen to this album? Um well, you get You look marvelous. You get the song. You get him talking about you look marvelous. You get the song version of you look marvelous. You get him doing that impression as the (laughs) final track (laughs) for these new inventions (laughs) called answering machines. You can have him being the outgoing message on your answering (laughs) answering machine. Uh, There's this the but we didn't talk about the Buddy Young Jr. bit. Oh right, which is the his character from Mr. Saturday Night years before that movie was made. I guess Mm -hmm. it was a real passion project, but it's a, he's a, you know, a bad comedian. Um, But it's, I don't know that he's a bad comedian. That is like, some of those jokes are the most solid jokes on the album. Uh Uh-huh. But the, I don't know if the audience has been instructed to groan at this character, because he's getting all these. He's telling some, like, he's talking about opening for Stephen Eady. Stephen Eady, a mean? Like, that's (laughs) good today. Uh (laughs) Um, His his wife, you you could, back in the day, you get VHS tapes from anywhere, like the laundromat. My wife got some from the gynecologist. She came home with cystitis and Amadeus. That's solid. (laughs) What's wrong with you? Um,. But yeah, I think this is, I uh, like, uh, why to listen to this album. I would say it's a time capsule <laughs> mm-hmm. of if you want to hear an album from nineteen eighty five that makes a lot of references to things from nineteen eighty one through eighty four, <laughs> then uh, and a little bit of filler. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's. Fine. I was happy to revisit it. <laughs> it's fine. It's. Fine. I mean, it,
0: maybe not the most glowing record, but it, they're not expected to be. I mean, it's. I've had people say, "No, you shouldn't listen to this album." They realize at the end of the episode, they didn't. They picked. They pick one that made no sense to talk about. It's
1: not like if you found out, oh, Alan Thick made a comedy <laughs> album. No, it makes sense for this to, to exist. <laughs> oh my! I love the idea of that. So,
0: so much. Um, okay, so uh, since this um, this is going to come out, I think, pretty soon, uh, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? If there's anything urgent, let me know.
1: Um, there's nothing urgent. Every okay. week, I put out a show called Stop Podcasting Yourself, mm-hmm. um, and I do that with Graham Clark here in Canada. Mm-hmm. It is my favorite podcast. It's mine, too. Yay! Uh, if I w- didn't make it, I would still listen to it. <laughs> I'm I'm very proud of it, um, and yeah, that's it. I'm on Twitter at Dave Shomka, and I'm mm-hmm. the best person at Twitter too. I'm the I have the best podcast, and I'm the best guy on Twitter. There, like I don't know if that's good, good promotion, but I'm good. That it's all the truth.
0: You know, you can't. I can't ask for anything less or more
1: or less. I don't remember what the
0: right word is right now. I no, apologize. it's fine. It's okay. It's fine, Jason. You're fine. You're fine. Um, well, I don't have anything to promote. Why would I? Uh, but just listen to my other podcasts, guys. Go to StolenDress.com. That's where all my stupid stuff is. Um, this has been a lot of fun for me. <laughs> yeah, ditto. <laughs> I'm eating a cucumber now. Are you sure it's a cucumber? Have we established officially if this is a cucumber or a piece of squash?
1: I I wouldn't have bought a zucchini. Okay. I think I've gotten too far into this thing to really question it.
0: Okay. That's fine. Um, Well, that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Dave, again, thank you for doing the show. Um, I'm going to repeat myself. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new stand-up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast.